Welcome back to HodgePodge. I'm your host, Allison Klackowitz. Today's guest is John Sadler out of Washington, North Carolina, a former engineer who was instrumental in the creation of the Korean War Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C., an avid sailor, an epilepsy warrior, and advocate turned author. He has published inspirational books to help individuals struggling with their own battles by sharing his personal lifelong experiences, his faith, and the power of hope. Listen to our inspirational conversation here on HodgePodge. Welcome to HodgePodge, John. Thank you for having me uh, join you today. Yes, I'm so honored to have you on to talk about your lifelong journey living with epilepsy and your books, Weathering the Storms, Living with and Understanding Epilepsy and Midst of the Storm, A Story of Trauma, Faith and Hope. And it's been uh, it's been quite a journey in putting those books together because they're based a lot on my personal experience. Yes, I was hoping you could tell our listeners a bit about who you are and, you know, how that journey has inspired you to to write your books. Well, that's a, a good way to get started. Uh, I really hadn't much interest in writing these books. I was dealing more with trying to be a, a husband, father, working full time and struggling with epilepsy. Um, I was diagnosed back in 1963 when I was four years old. And fortunately, about five years later, the doctors took me off my medication because it turned me into, as my siblings said, the little old man. It just oh. slowed me down so much and all. So anyway, I was that was fortunate. I was able, my brain was able to get, work normally again, and I was able to do really well in high school and all. But then I was, um, you know, had a major head injury and started having seizures again in college. Oh, wow. So we got me on some medication that worked pretty well. And, you know, I was able to, like I said, I, you know, become a husband, a, a father and have two children. And unfortunately, the more stress, work stress and things like that were... Uh, stacking up on me and stress is a key trigger to seizures but yes and over the years though they were developing new medications and I was able to get on a secondary medication that worked really well and for at least a couple years and then I'd have another breakthrough seizure but I you know new meds were coming out try another one and I did really well for quite a while my I think the most interesting thing, though, was how much my children picked up on my epilepsy. Hmm. My oldest, when he was at the age two years old, some of his very first words were, uh-oh, daddy, because hmm. um, I had clapped my hands trying to kill a bug that was flying around us. But that's also what I did when I had seizures. Oh, wow. And so they, they picked up on those clues. Yes, so again, at the age of two, he realized that there was a pro that I had a problem. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I had all several different types of seizures. Some where I didn't lose consciousness, but I could feel uh, an aura sw- you know, swarming through me like a wave of nausea. 
that usually was uh, let me know that the big seizure was coming, a grand mal seizure or a complex partial seizure. And But it, there was one day, though, I was literally asking God, what's the purpose of living with epilepsy? You know, what am I supposed to do with this? Right. And um, I was doing really well with where I worked. I, um, I got into some really interesting projects. And if any of you've been on the mall in Washington, D.C., I was the project manager on the Korean War Veterans Memorial. Oh, wow. And people would say, you know, what was your biggest challenge working on that memorial? <laughs> and I'd look at them and say, look, you know, it's an interesting question because I had to brief the upper commands within the, you know, the facilities that I worked at. And I even had to go talk and explain things to congressmen and, you know, people of that level. And then <laughs> had to be able to turn around and work with the people in the field who were the, you know, the the backbone to it all, the the uh, carpenters and the people placing the concrete and the stone workers and all. And right. An extremely stressful <laughs> position. Yeah. Plus meeting a schedule so it could be dedicated by two presidents and all kinds of things going on with president from South Korea. Uh, oh. And, you know, people ask, ask me, well, what was the toughest part of the whole thing? And I'd look at them and say, my seizures. Mm. So eventually around 2005, my seizures became what's known as intractable, which they could not be controlled with any medication. Wow. I was having two to three seizures a week. Um, so I went to Johns Hopkins and they got all excited. They said, you're our first engineer. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I don't care about that. Just fix my head, will you? Right. They said, we found, you know, the hot spot. We can see it in the MRIs. And we're going to run you through a whole series of gamut of tests. And um, I voted and I elected to have a lobectomy which they cut out um, a large piece of my left temporal lobe about the size of your fist and to get access to my left hippocampus, which was the source of this, which is also like a RAM and a computer that processes the information. The hippocampus processes the information in your brain except they, they removed my left side, which was mostly my engineering side of things. Right. I was going to say that that was a major life-altering um, decision you had to make to go through with that um, surgery, but it was also necessary in order for your quality of life and, and to control the, the seizures. I had told you before I've worked um, in human services and counseling, um, the latter part of my career with vocational rehab um, and worked uh, with folks with um, uh, epilepsy and traumatic brain injury. And so I can only imagine what the, the transition from that and the rehabilitation you had to go through. Yeah, that was interesting, too, because the doctor came in the next day and he asked me, John, what's 100 minus 7? 
and I sat there and said, hmm, what's a hundred? And, you know, again, being an engineer, that should have been instantaneous. But right. uh, And but a a few minutes later, I said ninety five and I had no idea where the number came from. Hmm. It was just I just said ninety five. And then I said, no, that's not right. But imagine how your brain works, you know, like we try to reason things out or you think about how something is supposed to be. But that's not what I had anymore. It was just like a flash appeared and said, it's 95. Right. And finally, I got the right answer. I said, it's 93. And the doctor goes, minus seven. And Mm. I can't remember what's before 90. And I said, 88. Well, that wasn't right. And I immediately told him that. And then I said, 86, minus seven. You know, and he did this um, about six or seven times. And I was just like, what's the next batch of numbers? What's the next batch of numbers? (laughs) Right. Um, And then I was totally exhausted and fell asleep. Mm. So, yeah, it um, it was pretty interesting because I had to get my brain to rewire. Right. And the engineer part of me was like, we got to figure this out. So we're going to start memorizing things. So the first thing I tried to do was to memorize the first stanza of Amazing Grace. Mm. And, you know, the song um, amazing, you know, about Amazing Grace, the whole story about how a person was down, completely down and trying to find God. And, you know, the whole story goes on. Um so anyway, the, you know, I made it through, I man- managed to memorize the first stanza in six weeks. Wow. And people were like, wow, it took you that long? How, how did you keep going? Mm. And then I started on the second stanza and that took four weeks. And then I could do both of them together and that took a while to <laughs> make them work, not get the words all mixed up. And then I worked on the third stanza. And I got better and better at it. It didn't take quite as long to memorize the whole whole stanza. So, I mean, it was... And then the biggest thing that really got me, though, was um, the pastor of my church invited me over. And I had been very active in the church. And she invited me over to, to talk about some projects that were coming up. And the first thing she read was a verse out of the out of the Bible about Jesus being on the mountain and being and and, you know he's with two of his disciples and they meet God and they hear the voice of God and the disciples really understand now who Jesus is and he comes down off the mountain then and the first thing that he comes across is a man begging him to to save his child who has epilepsy Man, that still hits me today. Right. And it just, um, when the pastor finished reading it, she looked up at me and she goes, oh my, I shouldn't have read that. And I said, (laughs) you did exactly what I needed. Mm. And I understood then that um, basically what was going on was I was in God's care and, you know, things were going to be okay. Yes. Wow. I just got goosebumps from listening to that, John. That's amazing. Um, Faith has definitely played a huge role in your life and is evident 
in your writing um, throughout your, your books and, you know, just how do you keep such strong faith and hope? I'll tell you, when, when you're in the bottom of the valley and the bottom of the well, you only have one way to look and that's up. You're right. <laughs> right. No, that's, that is, um, that's pretty poignant and, and a simple truth there. So I think we, we can all use that, that imagery and, and that, that thought, that hope. Um, I think you put it perfectly. Um, gosh, uh, how, how did you, um, I, I, when we were talking earlier, I was telling you, I was so impressed with not only, um, in, in particular, your narration of your, your book, Weathering the Storm, that you were able to link together very scientific-based research and study on epilepsy also interwining your own personal story from childhood, but then also relating the Bible and, and faith um, throughout that. And it, how did you come up with that? How did you, <laughs> how did you link all of those together? That would have been a massive undertaking. Actually, it really came to me naturally. Mm. Uh, one of the biggest things that happened for me was um, I was with a men's group in church and one of the fellas said, John, I need you to lead the prayer in you know, one of the services. And I immediately volunteered and then, but it took me about four hours to write the prayer because that's how my, my brain was so slow in organizing things. And then, but you know, he let, he, I got into that and continued on and got better and better over the next couple of years. And then they asked me to lead a, a sermon. <laughs> and I was like, <clears throat> man, that's, you know, I got to see if I can do this. And I, you know, I was able to do it. And I had a whole congregation cheering for me. <laughs> it literally cheering for me. Mm. People were giving me hugs because they knew where I'd been. And they were just amazed. And then I also got one of the th things that moved me the most, though, was, um, I had a phone call at work and a, the fellow I was talking to, we were talking about setting up a meeting to get a contract in place. And he said, uh, I'm not available next week. And I was like, oh, okay, we can reschedule, you know, we can reschedule things and all. And he said, I'm taking my son on a make-a-wish trip. Mm. And I'm sitting there going, Ooh boy, you know, make-a-wish trip means usually terminal illness. Yeah. At least that's what I thought. And then he said, my son has epilepsy. Mm. And I, I went totally silent for over a minute. He actually thought I hung up the phone. <laughs> and I was debating. I'm saying, don't tell him, don't tell him, don't tell him. And I, I finally agreed. I'm not going to say anything to this guy about my own epilepsy. And then I said, <laughs> my first response was, your son and I have much in common. <laughs> Wow. And it blew him away. His son was four years old. And oh. when he heard my story, he said, you just implanted hope in my whole life. Oh, gosh. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow. And then he came back later and said, my whole family now has hope. Mm. And some of the people that worked with him when I met him later 
thank me for you know what I was doing with the fell with the fellas. So I started volunteering then through the Epilepsy Foundation to be a mentor, and then my uh, counselor mentioned to me, he said, John, you need to get a degree in pastoral counseling. And I'm looking at my counselor like, you're crazy. I can't memorize stuff and do all. <laughs> and he said, no, I think you'd be a good counselor. And I took it on. I got a, went to Loyola University, which had a pastoral counseling program. And the professors there really helped me. And they were like, you know, whatever it's going to take, we're going to get you through this. And it was a five-year program. I worked full-time, and I went to school in the evenings. And then um, after four years, I no longer needed any special assistance. Wow. So I was able to get my brain to rewire enough that I could then uh, didn't need any additional time to take exams or any other special assistance. Um I was able to take notes fast enough and that type of thing in the classrooms and just a lot of things happened. And I started working then at a facility that um, was with men with the addictive behaviors and got another perspective of counseling and mm-hmm. started working with um, people with epilepsy, um, providing counseling and all to the families and counseling to the person with the seizures and my toughest case, though, was um, a lady who I worked with her for almost two years. And she had a five-year-old daughter who had 48 seizures in 52 days. Oh, gosh. And they couldn't figure out what was going going on or anything. And, um, and she said, hey, John, you need to put together a program for the caregivers because you, you can't believe what you've done for me. So we worked together and I put together, uh, developed the whole program to educate the caregivers about what it's like for the person with epilepsy. Right. Which is your, basically the basis around your second book. Right. Correct. Um, It's a good piece of it. Um, That's where I became a caregiver, but going back to weathering the storms, I was just, I was really, well, basically people in, in, my graduate program were telling me, you got to write your story. you got to write a book about this. And the more and more I heard that, you know, many times over. And eventually after I graduated, um, I started putting some chapters together and information together. And um, when I moved to Little Washington in North Carolina, there was a writer's guild here and they helped me a whole lot. And because they're like, you're too scientific. You need to put some creative words in this. <laughs> the Pamlico writers group. <clears throat> yes. Which yeah. is how you and I met. And, um, and it's a wonderful, wonderful group. I, I want to make sure to, to say that and to thank Sherry Hollister in particular for all of her efforts with that oh, group. Yeah. <laughs> what I did was I sent up to Johns Hopkins where I had my surgery, all the information I wrote about my experience there. And also a lot of information about what epilepsy is and seizures and all. So they wrote, they sent everything back to me with some basic comments and things to add to it. 
And the doctor who had worked with me said, I cannot believe that you remembered all of this happening. Mm-hmm. He said, this is a, this was incredible to read this story and you were right on the money. Right. What, a, you know, from, from trying to memorize the stanzas of amazing grace to going on to writing two books, John, I mean, <laughs> you really are a miracle. Um, but you show that through your hope and your faith and perseverance and not giving in or up, you know, you were determined to, to live and to, to, to continue, um, your journey. I mean, really, it is an, a, a huge inspiration. Well, that's what I try to do is I've, I've written weathering the storms, which starts off with what epilepsy is and how long it's been around. And, you know, I talk about Julius Caesar who had epilepsy. I mean, it's just a statement, but it's, you know, that's how long epilepsy has been around. And then the other major thing is, is the kind of the dark side of things with um, how people with epilepsy were treated mm-hmm. all the way up until 2008, when um, the American with Disabilities Act finally decided to include people with epilepsy. And that, <laughs> that is wild, isn't it? That yeah. it would have not been because it is a completely debilitating um uh, diagnosis and, uh, wow. So I just try to educate people too about the electrical storm that occurs in the brain. And that's why I have the title of it's weathering the storms. It's not like it's pouring down rain outside or there's a hurricane. It's the electrical storm that's occurring in the brain. Mm. And that's really, truly what a seizure is. Um, whether it affects just a part of the brain or the entire brain, but I also put in there some of my own experience being the caregiver. Um, and I had to be the caregiver, not only the, a person who had a seizure in a classroom with me, but also the caregiver of the people who witnessed it. And that's one of the things that we don't cover very much when it comes to like the Epilepsy Foundation or any other. There's very little information for the caregivers outside of what to do with a person with epilepsy. Right. Yet the caregivers often suffer with PTSD, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. So anyway, that's what I, I try to do is to educate people about anything from the various types of seizures, the classifications of seizures. So when they talk to their doctors, they know what their the terminologies that are being used. But I also talk about, um, I also share a lot of my own family's experience with it. Like my sister and my dad's wrote me letters about what it was like for them and the challenges of living with epilepsy. And I also then try to just explain my own experience um, and how I was able to, like we just talked about, persevere. And then the end of it is about for the caregivers. There's a section in there about um what it was like to be and to help somebody with epilepsy. And I mentioned the lady who had the daughter with all those seizures in a short period of time. Uh, I tell her story in there and I tell my own, a little bit of my own story about helping my neighbor. And then in the end, there's bullet points for the talk is kind of the, the, what the caregiver should do and what the, um, 
what it's like for the person with epilepsy. Right. Wow. You really have created um, two books that are come full circle with the experience, you know, and helping a person understand the storm. Right. Right. And, and then the person giving care during the storm that, that is a, a an amazing accomplishment. Um, do well, you go ahead? Sorry. I was going to say my second book that I wrote in the midst of the storms mm-hmm. is it's a story. It's not, you know, all facts and everything, but it's mm-hmm. a story about my experience being the caregiver of my next door neighbor, um, who I met. This happened about four years ago. And the person had had a stroke and recovered beautifully and um, had done really well with in the recovery, but then started having simple partial seizures. And when that happened, she would call me and I'd, you know, go over and help her, help her out. And but the thing about it was the seizures progressively got worse. And I started actually having my own PTSD, like when I took the person to the hospital um, here in near near in Little Washington. When I walked into the hospital, I was walking into Johns Hopkins where I had my brain surgery. Sure. Right. You were reliving. Yes. Wow. So again, I, you know, it was, um, I was trying to be the, a good caregiver and help the neighbor out and did a lot of work with them. And eventually, you know, they had to move away um, when their family was able to help them out. But the whole big thing there that I try to center around is, you know, big questions being where, where is God or where was God through all this? And then what was the purpose to living through this? You know, we weren't able to control the seizures. We weren't able to get to take care of the problem. We weren't able to work together because we were talking about possibly doing some of that. And all the plans that we thought of, of our coming together were sucked away. And the big question then is, why did this happen? And that's what I get down to then in the midst of the storms, a story of trauma, faith, and hope. And it's, um, in some ways, it's a sad story, but it's also to help people understand where God can be with you, even when you're basically, as we mentioned earlier, at the bottom of the well and the bottom of the valley and trying to just find purpose to what's going on in your life. Right. And throughout each stage of your life and throughout each storm right. that, that comes and, um, and, you know, it, it, it's such a, a key um, in life and to remember not to give up, right. Yes. Not to lose that, that hope that with tomorrow, you know, and you have proven too that because of your story, you have been able to help other families and individuals. Yes. Yeah. And, like and that, I think, was God's plan for you to be able to to show um, what you can accomplish and and to be able to share that with others. Yes. And people are saying... Now, how could you write a book like this? And I said, well, I was suffering from PTSD. And one of the techniques they taught us in getting over it 
is to sit down and write it out mm-hmm. and then read it over and over and over again. And granted, what I wrote down <laughs> treating my PTSD is not what's in the book, but it was all of a sudden there was a purpose, as I discovered about it almost a year later, there was a purpose to what I'd lived through and really understanding them where, where God was the whole time and how God was working through how, how really how God works through people. You know, it, it's not a matter of, you know, the, the, the heavenly father being right beside you. It may be somebody who's talking to you or somebody who shows up right at the moment that you need that person to be there. And I share a lot of, you know, make, make, I share a lot of those little stories in, in the midst of the storms, how all these people were appearing and just being the angels that we, that were needed at the moment. Uh, granted, they don't have wings and things like that, but they they do have an ability to be an angel when it was needed. Definitely. And I feel blessed for being able to share and listen to your story this morning um, and giving me hope and persistence and wanting to to just continue to have faith and and look at the sunny side of life um because uh your your story is truly incredible john well the good lord was telling me to share it so that's what i try to do well i have loved listening to it and i hope everyone that is listening today has been touched by it as well i want to ask you um do you have any projects coming up in the future well um yeah, we have uh, some competitions, writing competitions coming up, and I've written some stories about a cat named Atlas who is extremely strong, and he just likes to, um, he has to face some, some life challenges, but they're pretty funny, and, you know, he becomes uh, friends with a, a, a fella who you know, he can just help out kind of a thing. And it's, it's pretty, it's completely different from what I've written. Yeah. I was going to say that. (laughs) I was going to say that, but I think that's amazing that you've been able to take from writing, you know, to, to really being able to focus on that creative aspect of writing. Yes. Yes. So the other thing I like to let people know about is where my books are available Sure, please tell us. And they're available on Amazon Books. That's probably one of the best places to to get them. And both books are available in paperback and in audio, uh, excuse me, in uh, ebook. And I told the the, the company that helped me get them published, I said, look, these books are not going to be expensive. So weathering the storms is less than ten dollars for the paperback. Okay, that's great. Mm -hmm. And then it's I think it's three fifty for the um, the ebook version. And we had an audio version of it released about four months ago, and I think it's like four dollars and fifty cents. Yes, and I I can say I've been able to listen to Weathering the Storms on Audible and you did an excellent job in your narration and I love listening to the author read their work so it, it, 
I encourage anyone out there that is also a big audiobook fan <laughs> like I am um, to download um, Weathering the Storms because it, it it's really wonderful to be able to to hear it in your voice. And the other nice thing about that book is if you're the caregiver, there may be chapters that just you know really stick out to you. Or if you're the person with epilepsy, there may be other chapters that really stick out. Um, so that's what I try to do is, you know, you don't need to read the whole book to be able to get some really good information out of it. Right. No, I, I agree. I think that they that in, in particular, Weathering the Storms is a wonderful um, resource for any person um, living with or caring for a person with, uh, with epilepsy um, and also trying to n- not just understand the, de- the, um, the debilitating side of that, but also to try and find some peace and hope in, in their life. Um, you really have, have created a, a wonderful resource. I, I am so blessed to have talked to you this morning, John. Thank you um, so much for being a guest. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, it was great to meet you a few weeks ago. Yeah. Get to chat with you a little bit. And... Those serendipitous um, <laughs> moments in time when, when people come into your life. And, and I think this is, is one of those. So. Right. So <laughs> you actually showed up in the midst of the storm. So. <laughs> right, right, right. You're weathering your own storm right now. Um, but I am praying for you and, and hoping that um, you can continue to, to hold your faith and, and hope and, and guide others along with you. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, we've got a bit of a challenge going on here with um, that required me to relive some of my stuff with tr- treatments of my seizures and all and changing medications and all. But it's good that uh, what I'm dealing with now, there is treatment for it, and I'll be doing really well, hopefully in about 10 to 12 weeks. So Yes, I will be praying for you. <laughs> thank you so much. Yep. You're, you're welcome. Well, uh, thank you to all of our listeners out there. I will make sure to include all of the links um, to John's books in the accompanying blog post so that you can easily find them and purchase a copy um, for your own. And again, John, thank you for for being a guest today. Thank you very much. Keep up the good work. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners. I certainly appreciate you. And stay tuned for next time here on HodgePodge.